Kia ora and welcome to Circuit's podcast series, Popular Glory, Contemporary Queerness and the Moving Image. I'm Robbie Hancock and today I'm joined by two Tamaki Makoto-based artists, Nehana Gordon-Stables and Daniel John Corbett-Sanders. Nehana of Ngati Kuri works in video and explores queer and takatapui experiences through humour, queer social vernacular and semi-fictionalised storytelling. His work uses personal exchanges or events to talk about both romantic and platonic queer relationships. Dan is a Taranaki Pakiha artist and curator whose work across video, installation, photography and now painting explores recent urban histories as viewed through queer narratives. He uses the histories of inner city locations to investigate the impact of gentrification on queer communities. Dan has exhibited extensively across Tamaki Makoto, including Art Space and Room Gallery, and is the founder of Parasite, an artist-run gallery prioritizing LGBTQ plus artists. Nehana and Dan, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. How are you both doing? Yeah, good. 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 Nehana, I wanted to start with you and talk to two of your video works, Mm -hmm. both with very good titles. Um, (laughs) From 2017, I like this queer scene, but I've slept with both of them. And 2019's Congrats on Your Versatility. Mm -hmm. Both of these works have a kind of music video feel to them. They're pretty moody in terms of light and colour. Do you want to talk to these works and how they were conceived? Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, like, they came out of my need for wanting to make queer works that were humour-based. Um, a lot of my works from previous years before that were tied into personal experiences that were quite a lot of like people entering into spaces and, I guess, feeling quite sad. And I really wanted to make work that would make my communities feel happy and would start to engage in other conversations that were encouraging Mm. and really funny, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, they're really funny. There's also like a strange kind of maybe like a neg optimism Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. Like I think I know what you mean about seeking out positivity and queer representation. Mm. Like you have the trope of the queer tragedy or queer stories being incorporated into mainstream stories are often like the tragic part of it. Just most recently, I've been watching It's a Sin, mm. which has come out. We talked mm. about it yesterday. Have you yeah. seen it? No, I haven't. Um, it's got uh, Ollie Alexander from Years and Years, and it's a 1980s period piece set in London. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> I Basically, I said that, and Nehana was like, oh, so it's sad. Um, like, yes, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, uh, this one talks like looks at the AIDS epidemic coming into London. If you think of Pride, which is another English period piece, also uh, talks about the struggles of gay rights and struggle upon struggle upon struggle. And it's kind of yeah, it's a conversation that can feel like hard to get past. Mm. Yeah, and I I really wanted to be able to do that, and so I spent like quite a long time imagining a three-part series, which actually only ended up to be a two. So these are these two pieces. TBC. Yeah. So maybe it'll come, maybe it won't. But I like this queer scene that I sit with both of them. Was kind of like a easy way to start like addressing like a normal conversation between queer people, which is that there's so many of us, like, but also so little of us. So of course you're gonna see your ex like around on the street or at the supermarket. 
and most likely be friends with them or have like a connection with them in some way that's platonic mm-hmm. we would hope like but I felt that quite dear to me since I feel most of my like exes are quite close to me and so I wanted to reimagine that in quite like a quick annoying story I'm pretty sure it's only like a minute and a half which I think lends to its like music video feel as well that kind of like brevity to it is kind of like you know the one scene Mm. kind of situation yeah Um, I quite like as well the tragedy of the ex if you want to sort of Mm. think of it in that way as well it's a really mundane tragedy that you kind of have to deal with in Mm. like a lot of really small and surprising ways Mm. going somewhere where your ex is at because the queer scene is so small what I quite liked about the the second work Congrats on your versatility. The scene itself, it looks like it's set at a queer potluck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know what like those potlucks look like yeah. <laughs> and feel like. But then it's like this weird, sexy, Aro Valley potluck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a very like Wellington-esque, like we're having dinner, like this is drinks, but also there's this like background and there's that like the over the poetry kind of like um, conversation that we have like over the top of the land like that we have like these two people having a conversation about them coming together and trying to understand their versatility between them <laughs> and one trying person to move understanding beyond the like, top bottom yeah, yeah and one person understanding that more and it not necessarily also being about positions of like where we are like sexually but also where we are together presently as well mm. so it's like a huge conversation between them and that was found text, right? No, that was me. I wrote that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I wrote that. That was a script that I wrote during um, I Like This Queer scene and that was actually supposed to be a part of that series. It was supposed to be longer, but then I deemed it, it should be its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then had a bunch of queers and just stuck them in a room and, yeah, went for it and tried to get as many as I could. But I like getting things that are, like, quite quick and they're um, really annoying once they're playing in the gallery for a really long time. It's really funny to see that happen um, for a good minute and a half video playing mm-hmm. really loudly but I love like music videos and I think I'll always go back to them and like use them as a reference and then I reference like a little bit of like film-esque making like the mundane like a little bit more exciting which I really find mm. a lot of love in yeah, yeah there's, there's an aspect of treating something really mundane with a full cinematic treatment mm. and I think that is I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before one of the aspects of camp sensibility is the flip of flippancy I guess treating a really mundane topic or idea with like absolute reverence and respect and like ceremony mm. but then on the flip side of that treating things that does have a lot of gravity with absolute flippantness mm. and it means nothing kind of thing and I think that sort of like value flip happens with the cinematic telling of two people trying to figure out who's going to bottom yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. like a love story for the ages. Yes, yeah. yeah. But something I didn't talk about though during that was that um, "Congrats on Your Versatility" was actually based partly on a book that I was reading at the time, which is by Bu Rice. I don't Bu know. Rice? I don't know. Bu Rice is like this like amazing writer from like the US, and it made this book basically of like an entire two writers, and they like made this book that was all just grinder chats which they downloaded and then put in this novel of both of them just chatting to each other from across like the US and like they were lovers and they weren't and then they just like like you watch them reality wise like actually throughout the time these were like actual like text messages they did through Grindr and how they move and like Mm. 
shake and just like become like together again and yeah take them through their lives of finding where they're gonna live or whatever but there is a part in the book where one of them congratulates the other one on their versatility because they finally found out that they were versatile through like a grinder hookup <laughs> and they were like congratulations on yeah. the third coming of age <laughs> <laughs> so Nehane you were a facilitator at Meanwhile Gallery down in Te Whanganui Atara. Mm. And Dan, that's where I first saw your work in person. It was After Carmen, which I believe showed in 2018. Yeah, the show consisted of scattered broken teacups mm. and this backing track, which was just like a relentless club beat. Yeah. With nothing else, just the duff duff, but yeah. without any of like the melody, the rise the build-up and release that you expect from electronic music. And so it was just, like, the tension the whole way through, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing to think about that show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was in reference to cruising practices in Carmen Rupi's cafe, yeah. um, Carmen's Coffee Lounge. Do you want to talk to that work? Yeah, I actually haven't thought about that work in a long time. Yeah, that work largely came about from... I've been working at this cruise club slash sex store in Auckland for like six or seven years now, like quite a long time, and have witnessed like, I don't know, different businesses come in and out. And one of the businesses that moved in above the cruise club was this gay club. And they used to just have this relentless base that would just echo through the cruise club and drive you absolutely <laughs> mental. And I quite like this tension between this kind of like nostalgic idea of queerness and, and queer spaces and all this kind of stuff like a cruise club and bodies versus contemporary gay clubs and, and clubbing culture and nightlife and all the problematics that that has with it which I guess is what the teacup smashing symbolise like Carmen was like long gone Do you want to just explain quickly how the teacup cruising worked? Was it something to do with like turning it upside down? Or well, like the yeah. handles? Or you like, put the saucer on top or something. And they yeah. indicated different sexual preferences. Yeah. Like, kind of like the hanky code. Yeah, and then the waiting staff will come up to you and like escort you away upstairs to like the brothel area. Right, right. So for the people listening who don't know what the hanky code is, it's what, from the 70s? Yeah, it kind of like originated from the UK as well, like with Polari and all of yeah. those kind of languages, like all these like queer languages um, of cruising. If you wore your hanky in like your left pocket versus your right, it was like top bottom. The color of it indicated your sexual interest, like your kink interest. If it was like yellow, you might be more into like water sports. I think a red indicated you're into like fisting, mm. giving or receiving, yeah. The sort of gay sex club still persists and they're still around, but there's something about it that feels just like inherently anachronistic. What are your goals referencing sex club practices from the past? I think for me, like um, working in the cruise club, you just witness so many contradictions, like um, things are like nostalgic trying to hold on to this like pre-HIV kind of sexual liberation movement and a lot of the people who regular my cruise club anyway it's like a smaller owner operated business are like older guys who have lived through like the HIV crisis and like lost all their friends and all this kind of stuff so hold on to it as like a social grounds it's like their place for them to socialize but at the same time you've got like 
grinder affecting it and like youth interacting with those spaces looking at it as like a dirty or like more like kinky kind of thing like more extreme sexual practice when like for older people it was kind of the norm also it being like yeah this kind of like sexual liberal kind of space but at the same time it's a business and how it functions as a business model is quite interesting to me like it's not just like a room where people have like these like big orgies it's like place for like people to make money and how they design the cruise club is to keep people there and like there's all these kind of contradicting kind of things Mm. that go on there have you read times square red times square blue by samuel r delaney no it's a really great book it's kind of in two parts but also speaks to that anachronism while it's kind of in the midst of transitioning between like anachronistic and present so the first half is a retelling of Times Square in New York from when it used to be a red light district and discusses the gentrification that happened that pushed sex clubs and strip clubs out of Times Square and it made it like a family space kind of thing for New York mm-hmm. and, and it works like a like a history book in that sense because it talks about the different mayors and councils and how that kind of stuff operated in terms of this really specific experience um, and then the second half is I, I guess it's like cultural theory or a kind of like critical theory but not in the way that sort of like academic texts necessarily formulate themselves he makes this argument for for this distinction between contact relations and network relations as facilitated through sex clubs and through sex on site premises and basically the idea that sex clubs facilitated contact up and down class and across populations in the way that networks don't so like if you think of going to a bar you're always going to be encountering people with like similar taste or what you think is trendy similar sort of price brackets in terms of what you earn Mm. um, and sort of sex spaces kind of flatten that hierarchy Mm. yeah like you have those older guys who yeah have these kind of old ideas of how a cruise club functions but then you also just have like the class side of it is really interesting um lots of people from out of the city center come in and they don't have anywhere to go in the city once they're here Mm. so it's just a space for them to go and just hang out during the day watch tv have tea and coffee for other people it's a safe space to do drugs Mm -hmm. so they go there to like shoot up or all these kind of things so it kind of yeah occupies these different kind of spaces all at once yes it kind of flattens it in a way yeah Mm. yeah also, in 2019, you're in Art Spaces' annual New Artist Show, and your exhibition was called Intimate Atmospheres. From a distance, uh, it did seem like it seems like it picks up on some of those themes that you were working with from After Carmen. Mm. Queer spaces, I guess. Thinking specifically of the video work Queen of the Rainbow Lays, mm. uh, and which is has a karaoke performance of Blue Bayou. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. I feel like different audiences would have, like, a very different set of references to come to that one specific work, namely, Mm. like, queer audiences and straight audiences. Totally. The person in the video, Taz, has been coming in the whole time I've worked there. Mm -hmm. At the club? To the club. And she'd be there until we close at three in the morning and it would be completely empty. There's no one there. The business is suffering because of all these gentrification processes going on. 
for a while no one could actually access the business because of like all this construction going on and so she just put on karaoke and we just sit there and sing songs all night to this empty cruise club <laughs> which seems like so apocalyptic and really bleak or something she also was like quite camp and like loved to dress up and like it was quite an occasion coming out to the cruise club on a saturday night so i think in a similar way to your work nehana like it was just like i don't know something joyous to do and to mm. like it was against like these photos that i did that were a lot more of like an intense like repetitive study of the remnants of it but in a like, i don't know more fun engaging way or something mm-hmm. it was just filmed on my phone <laughs> like while i was at work yeah three in the morning three in the morning <laughs> yeah yeah i like i loved it because because i feel like you know queer audiences will watch it and be like you know those are the queens in the club or like that's the auntie role you know uh, yeah totally I also think like with institutions like art space and like bigger kind of institutional understandings of queerness it's often kind of like what we talked about before like the always portrayed like the the tragic gay or like all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff and I think that work I don't know definitely liberated that or something I think it's something I'm interested in too with the cruise club it's got its own history and stuff but in terms of its local history and its location K-Road used to be predominantly a Pacific Island-occupied street, and then it was, like, a, the sex industry. But then the gay businesses started moving up from downtown. They used to be downtown, they moved up. And as that started happening, it, like, pushed out a lot of Māori and Pacific people, and the sex industry got removed kind of from K-Road or pushed to the edges of K-Road. I don't know, there's, like, this tension between that and I guess yeah her her campness and people referencing like thinking she's like just a drag queen or something like that when she's not she's from the complete opposite culture to like what that mainstream kind of drag culture represents on K-Road like at bars like Kaluzi drag cabaret bar where it's like just putting on a show for like straight people like or like this kind of real like homonormative kind of stuff well I think it's interesting as well sort of there's a generational sort of conversation that happens in your work that is specific to sort of sex club or those sorts of spaces but there's also something really specific about the localization of it for me my thoughts i think it comes to access and what we have as like youth growing up in various places mm. um, specifically from like aotearoa so much of media that we consume in queer media is very us centric to a lesser extent uk centric and yeah, those sort of local histories are really hard to access or come by, come across, or just, mm. like, learn about, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I think places like the Cruise Club is an archive of so many different histories and all different kinds of histories. For me, growing up in Taranaki and then moving up to Auckland, I always perceived it as being, like, a gay mecca in a way. It's like, oh, that's where the gay bars are, like, you know, I'll meet other gay people, like, all this kind of shit. But they moved here and Wait, did oh, that. And I was, don't want to meet them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I did. I regretted it. But when I got this job, I found more like I related to like the trashiness of it. The like <laughs> the gross condoms and needles and like all this kind of stuff was far more relatable than like the glitz and glamour of like the nightclub. Mm. Yeah, I've definitely had that like similar experience of moving to the city thinking you're going to have a particular kind of queer experience and then being faced with the reality of like what gays look like on tv and what they're like at lunch 
mm. is really jarring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh shit! I don't belong here. Yeah. And like, it's not about queerness anymore. It becomes about a whole bunch of other stuff. And I think, namely, it is class. Mm, absolutely. And that's the thing that feels like the most sort of rigid in terms of participation and not being given access to spaces. Yeah. Because I think people can read class like second nature. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I don't know, just like the other day, moving to Auckland the other day, walking down Ponsonby, walking past Prager, and I'm just like, oh, that was on my list of like, maybe I'll go check that out. See her sitting there, and I'm just like, oh, that's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that was even on your list. That's so funny. <laughs> I got from here, I'm like, where is good to eat? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, where are the nice places? I mean, like, one of the things I feel that Wellington is quite good at is bars and restaurants that are like good but unpretentious, like I've never mm. felt uncomfortable in places. Or you'll go somewhere that has stunning food, but mm. the service is super relaxed and like kind of no one, there's not a lot of tolerance for being uppity. Yeah. in a restaurant because it's just like you're in a bar you're paying the same price for a drink that that person over there is paying for it. yeah like calm your farm yeah absolutely <laughs> you did a really interesting project Nehana during lockdown with Meanwhile where you ran a workshop on navigating online sex spaces mm. which is interesting to think about in terms of cruising as an anachronistic practice and how that's kind of shifted itself online, but also the specifics of what happened with COVID and mm. how that impacted spaces, I guess, like where you worked in. Um, do you want to talk about what you did for Meanwhile? Yeah, so I did like a Instagram story like work around, which was kind of like two parts like a workshop and then also like two parts like an exploration where really I just like for like an entire like two weeks went on as many sex sites as possible no matter what they were and that interacted with other people right so like online sex spaces so like there was one in particular which I loved the most <laughs> it was like sims but you could have sex with people online which is kind of what yeah. everyone tries to do on the sims anyway right yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. but this time there's another real person on the other line and mm -hmm. like you can chat to them yeah you oh know? My God. and you can have your own workspace and that one was my absolute favorite and you could like end up in a fantasy world of like this like cowboy and boots and like fantasy winterland or some shit and you're like having sex with mm. like adam from i don't know like fiji or something you know like it doesn't matter and it just like broke down walls like that was like a little look because i feel like yeah some of those those places can feel like pretty like anime kind of vibes mm. <laughs> but um the best part really was actually we had a a uh, I zoomed two other people across the country and we had a chat about their experiences of like online sex which one of them like had like online experiences with just like posting naked selfies on reddits like and then waiting for people to talk to them like wow. you know and then like also how you stay safe in those situations and um what those situations look like for you but that was actually yeah, definitely the most fun I had in, in quite a long time with just talking about that and um, mostly because I was it was still working with the New Zealand AIDS Foundation at that point. So like mm. also had like interactions of like yeah, how we understand sex, sex through spaces and yeah. things like that. 
Yeah, what was the advice that you sort of came to about staying safe online? Well, I mean, there was no real advice because, like, I didn't really particularly have any other than, like, the great ones where you, you could just be a sim and you could be a fake, complete person, which is exactly what people want. You have your own avatar. But things like Reddit and things like that, like, it's a little bit wavy, like... Reddit <laughs> is a scary place. Yeah, you like, <laughs> own, like, research on what stays safe in those areas because, of course, it's the real reality that photos, once they're put up, can't be taken down. Mm. So that's always going to be a thing. Um, but really, it was mostly to hear about other people's stories and what those look like for them. So I imagine in the game, like, you have your sims and then you have a chat function. Yes. Were you able to share pictures of the chat function? You aren't. Right. No, so all of the sex just stays with the avatar. That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. But there were other ones, though, where, like, you were in the same fantasy world and you could, like, for instance, like, you'd have to pay money to get a new deck, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah, like, literally, like... like second like, Life. Yeah, Second Life. Yeah. yeah, that was the one that I did. Yeah, that one was the most hectic because I was not willing to pay that amount of money to do that. <laughs> oh, wild. Because Second Life had, a, had, like, a moment, too, like, a few years back of being yeah. quite a big and people were selling off like second life real estate for real dollars mm -hmm. oh yeah yes. so yeah. this was the sites being used as like a sex online absolutely and like you start off as this avatar that has nothing like you can buy whatever like bits and pieces you want and have a package or whatever mm. of like as, a, as an actual package like yeah. of oh, things yeah, yeah. that okay. you can have but also yeah. that yeah. also that <laughs> <laughs> cute no I really enjoyed that that sort of project it was like interesting and like I don't know I think there's like a novelty to it as well and maybe just like a um, permission aspect to mm, it to yes. talk about that stuff which maybe happened a lot for a bunch of things during lockdown is like having frank discussions about things that we probably wouldn't be open about in the past mm -hmm. mm. yeah I mean it's not like any of us have like sure like seen that and been like I'll try it for like 30 seconds mm. but having that open conversation that sure look you press that button you like made that avatar and look you talk to someone from like the US you know for 10 minutes like it's definitely an opening for people to feel like they're yeah. going to talk about like this like, could be something online. I could be into yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially through lockdown. <laughs> Fucking hell. I used to be on Habbo Hotel doing yes. that. Yeah. I also went on that. <laughs> Habbo Hotel. It's like similar, but like your sim's really pixelated. Yeah. You can't actually have sex, but you can like type it in and like little mm. asterisks. Like hashtag pulls down pants, hashtag like. Like really proto internet language? Yeah. Like yeah, live yeah. journal, mm. <laughs> kind of like the way you'd sort of like. Bringing Describe back action, ASL, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lordy, what a time. Dan, you just opened your show last week at Room Gallery called Urban Nothing, mm. which is super stunning. It's really great. Thanks. I enjoyed it <laughs> immensely. But people may be surprised to see a bunch of painting. Mm. <laughs> I've always done paintings and stuff, but never shown them. My last show, solo show, was at Artspace with the video of Taz. And she came and saw the show. And she's someone who, like, lives out of the Auckland CBD. And it was quite a mission for her to come to, like, an art gallery, like a space that's quite isolating or, like, you know, new to her. So she, like, got all dressed up and, like, spent, like, a week planning her outfit. It was really cute. And then she got there and she really liked the show, loved the video of her. It was like a moment of fame. And she was like going around to like the staff who were like just sitting on their computers being like, it's me on the screen. Like, it was really Love cute. It. But um, with the rest of the work, like the photos and stuff, 
I had like some criticism, like feedback. Like John Harrell wrote like an article and centered all my work around HIV, which is like the thing we're just talking about. That, yeah. Um, which I found frustrating because it. I mean, sure, it's an aspect of it, but it's not like the focus or whatever. She just looked at it and was like, "Darling, all people want to see is big, bright, colorful paintings and like glittery things." And I was like, true. So <laughs> I just did that because I think for me, like people like her who I work with most of the week, more so than like my engagement with like art people. If I'm making work like about and for that community, they should feel like they're going to enjoy them t- themselves when they make the effort to come into the the gallery or whatever. Bit of a shift, but like I think it was a really meaningful one for me for that reason. Yeah, interesting. Like, I think I think for both of your practices, kind of like community as like a sort of yeah a central aspect of what you do, or like a guiding kind of like principle in terms of like community building, community sort of like safeguarding as well, and like safeguarding in like the best possible way of what that word can mean. And and I'd be interested to hear about how that shifts into parts of your work that aren't your personal practices. Like for instance, with Parasite, having, in my head, like having a, running an artist run gallery is very much about having a community mm. and being a, being a part of someone who facilitates community. And I think all three of us have actually run ARIs. I'd be interested to hear how that sort of works, your ideas about community in regards to artist run galleries. Something I've actually always struggled with and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it is the word community because I think there's no unifying thing that makes a queer community apart from maybe like, well, actually, I don't know. And like, there's all these presumptions that because we are all from the same community, quotes, mm-hmm. like we might have a leaning towards more like progressive politics and all these kind of things which is not true either and so in terms of running Parasite which does prioritise the exhibition of queer artists it's kind of like a case by case thing like depending on the artists and their work and their relationship to this inherently because it's a single space under or a single name some kind of community is being built but also like it's tricky territory for me like because uh, yeah I don't want to create this weird little box around people or anything like that and I think there's so many problematic sides of like queer things like pride for example has like a whole bunch of problematics like to do with instances of like homonationalism and like feeding into like global colonization and like Israel for example and like that all that kind of stuff and it happens on a micro level here as well or like even just like queer people's relationship to the police and like white queers instead of like putting pressure on the government to change certain policies now it's more of like creating like punitive politics to like punish people who are like a threat to them and their their safety as a sexual citizen of this country or something and completely ignores like the actual I don't know other instances of homophobia and transphobia that go on because of like mental health and homelessness and all these other kind of things that go on community is tricky yeah (laughs) Um, Um, that sums it up real good yeah (laughs) Um, do you have any thoughts to add to that Nehana 
not right now. Gotta give me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. I mean, like, there's there's stuff that you do to navigate your own experiences through queerness and queer communities. But then when you're sort of sort of transition into the position of being responsible Mm. for other people, I think it's quite difficult. I mean like Mm. you can you can you can sort of decide for yourself how you want to interact with people, places and groups. But yeah, when when you're sort of speaking for a collective or speaking for on on behalf of other people, whether like by default or it just becomes under the umbrella of what you're responsible for. Mm. Then it's yeah. Yeah, it's hard to to lead that as well. I definitely understand what you mean by like this word of community and what that means because that can also build walls sometimes. Mm. And I mean that's exactly what you were saying. And I feel like I, I definitely felt that through like running an Ari as well and, and wanting to to feel like a community was was encompassed everybody, but in the end trying to find a balance between like which everybody yeah which everybody yeah, <laughs> yeah deserves that space and like who gets to to be there and and what what safety looks like for that community as well mm. and who, who gets to yeah show there and like because because you run you run it you're you're a part of mm. it so you're you're intentionally like leading it as well and, and then in parts leading like a community which you can't see right now but i'm doing the quote thing with my fingers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a hard one. With Parasite, at the beginning, I wrote, like, this Tumblr thing at the end of 2019, like, a little Tumblr post, like, bitching about the Open Art Gallery, um, which I'm really embarrassed about now, but I think it actually raised some good conversation. It blew up on Facebook, got shared around. Is this the one talking about queer representation? Yeah, which is, like, another thing I feel really uncomfortable about is this whole representation thing. But, um, (laughs) whatever. That was just, like, real basic online, like, things. Me just having a go at the gallery. Also, I had, like, I used to work there and had, like, homophobic experiences there. Mm. And I guess when Parasite started, that was the immediate kind of, like, drawcard. And in in some ways, it was kind of, like, I don't have any faith in any institutional change, and I believe Mm -hmm. that like you have to start on the grassroots and grassroots cause is what changes stuff eventually. But um, I've kind of distanced myself from that whole conversation quite a lot today. Mm. And I think distant parasite away from it. I try not to engage with those conversations too much because I find them really problematic. Mm. The whole community thing, you can use the same conversation around representation, like, who and what's being represented and all the all, all the things yeah it's like important I think with Parasite too like um, a way of distancing from that that kind of conversation for me is like trying to maintain some kind of level of professionalism with the artists that I work with so as to enable them to it supersede that whole system and mm. just do well without depending on that whatever. Mm. We were fortunate to get significant CNZ funding and cool. that's helped out a lot of people to be supported more so than they would have been if they went through like art space or any of the more well established kind of institutions. Yeah. That's a one way that you can do it I guess. There is one thing that I've been thinking about of and it comes from there's this sort of like New Zealand research company that focus, they're called the workshop and they focus on 
It's a really weird sort of like abstract research company, which I kind of love. But their sort of overall goal is to sort of change the way we talk about big issues, which is broad. But one of the interesting things they did was a, a guide for media outlets on how to deal with COVID-19 misinformation. Mm. And one of the sort of advice, advice pieces on that is you can't fight misinformation with facts because mm. the f- it doesn't come from a fact belief system. It comes from like an emotional belief system. Mm. And you can't fight against that with facts. And their advice on how to deal with misinformation is to acknowledge it as little as possible and in your own stories embed best practice as an integral part of that. So, Mm. for instance, like if there's like information going around that mask wearing is ineffective, what you do is you write a story on how community leaders are successfully participating in the fight against COVID-19 and you show them wearing face masks and face coverings as a sort of just normal part of how to get there. Mm. And so that's kind of one of the ways to combat misinformation is to just embed it in your stories as fact, Mm. which I quite like. And I think is something quite transferable to a lot of things. So I was like trying to think of that for myself. of just like, okay, how do you embed the right stories into like Mm. the narrative of what you do? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. What I had been finishing off the podcast with, with everyone, is the question, who would your dream collaboration be with, in or outside of the arts? Oh. I've got, like, a couple of artists that I'd love to work with. Mm. But outside of the art, I feel like there's probably, like, some really cool person I just can't think of right now. (laughs) Just throw out names, throw out names. I love, um... So a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to... I went to the UK for um, my boyfriend's brother's wedding, whatever, anyway. We ended up at a pub and I met one of my favourite artists, Reba Mayberry, mm-hmm. who is a dominatrix and she makes her subs, make her art for her and then she oh sells God. it off. I fucking loved her a lot and would love to work with her. I do a little bit of, like, dom practices myself. Um, so that would be a bit of fun... And then I've always loved Jessie Darling's work quite a lot. Who's Jessie Darling? Jessie Darling's like a... They're originally from the UK, but now live in Berlin. Um, They're like a sculptor. Yeah, I don't know. Google them. (laughs) (laughs) Link below. (laughs) (laughs) Nehane, dream collaboration. Am I allowed to? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, and we just still have to be Bure Rice, like, forever and always. Like, Mm. I just... I feel like it's always going to impact my, my art practice, that entire book, forever. Yeah. And just such gorgeous like writing. Um, and the second person is my mum. Oh, my mum. She recently woke up from a dream, which was really funny. She called me straight away and was like, I know what I want to do now. I want to do an exhibition with you. And um, she has forever, like, always done, like, any kind of art thing and been amazing at it. Like, straight away, it's actually fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, she recently did a sculpture um, thing at Welltech. Um, and she's, like, yeah, like, I don't know. She's, yeah, she's my mum. Anyway. Um, and um, and um, she just did it straight away. And, um, and she made this entire sculpture, like, gorgeous, huge sculpture of this person. And she wanted to make many of them and then just have me like video project over them somehow. So we've been talking about it for the past like seven months and yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll do something in the future. Sick. But, um, yeah. 
That is the most wholesome answer, and yes. I love it, and I can't wait to see it at Parasite coming 2021. <laughs> hey, thank you both for taking the time out to talk to me. Really appreciated the conversation, and thanks to everyone listening for coming along these chats. Yeah, Hope thanks. you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>